All right. So good morning. It's good to see you all here this morning. For those who do not know me, my name is Tom Sylvia, the associate pastor here. And normally it is Pastor John up here preaching week in and week out. And he has been taking us through the book of Hebrews. And we've been learning just how much Jesus is better than, well, everything. And he has been doing a wonderful job with that. So if you're new, you can go online and hear all the recent sermons and go through the entire book of Hebrews up to where we are today, which is Hebrews chapter 11. So if you have your Bible, then I ask and I want to invite you to go to Hebrews chapter 11. We'll be in verses 1 through 16. If you do not have a Bible, then there is one in the chair in front of you. Please feel free to use it and keep it. And, well, Merry Christmas. So I'm with uh, keeping with tradition. I'm going to give you guys about 20 seconds to get there, and then we're going to stand and read. All right, stand and read. Hebrews chapter 11, 1 through 16. I'll be reading from the ESV. Let's, let's stand. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up, so that he should not see death, and he was not found, because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. For if, for if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. Verse 16. But as it is, 
They desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. You can be seated. Let me pray as we get started. Father, Lord, thank You so much for allowing us to gather here as a family to be able to read and listen and hear Your words. Thank You, Lord, for Your Gospel, for sending Your Son to die and to redeem us. And now we are justified by faith through the blood of Your Son. And Lord, as we learn about this gift of faith You have given us here this morning, Lord, may we act upon it and use our faith to glorify Your Son's name and to make Him known throughout all the world and in our community here. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. All right, perhaps most of you are very familiar with this chapter of the Bible. It has a nickname that it's famous by called the Hall of Faith. The Hall of Faith, and I think it's a rightful nickname because in this chapter we see so many of these historic characters doing what? Using their faith, obeying God, and we see God coming through in the end. So these leaps of faith, if you will, are giving God glory. And they're encouraging us to where we want to say, wow, I would love to do that. Or I want to follow in their footsteps to be able to take these actions. And it's my prayer today that you would be able to leave encouraged. It's my prayer for you all to be able to have a clear understanding of how to put your faith to action. That is what we want to see in this text this morning. That's what our author of Hebrews is doing for us. He wants us to use our faith and put our faith to work. So in order to accomplish this goal, we are going to do two things this morning. First, we are going to define faith. We have to know what faith is. We have to know what this gift is in order to use it. And then second, once we have defined it, we will just see how to walk by faith. I'll give you two fundamental ways to put your faith into action this very day. Okay, so with that roadmap, let us begin with the first one, the definition of faith. Here we go, Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. It's a very wonderful definition of faith, and perhaps you've heard faith being described, if you go to a list of an apologetic, course or seminar, and oftentimes the example is, this is faith. Everybody has faith. And faith is simply having a chair, and you have faith knowing that when you go to sit, it will catch you. That is faith. Well, that analogy falls short of what this author of Hebrews is referring to, because in this analogy of us trusting that the chair will catch us is blind faith in comparison to the infinite assurance and certainty that comes from the gospel. We have no guarantee, no promise in his word that any chair will catch us. What if it breaks? It's a very real possibility. Some of you have had that happen before. See, the faith we have is very different than the faith of that of sitting in a chair. And it is my prayer that you see this. So, With that, let's break this down. And in order for us to understand this definition that we have here before us, 
faith, the assurance of things hoped for, and the conviction of things not seen, we have to understand that there's a biblical tension that exists in this definition. In fact, this fancy theological term, this tension exists in almost all of our beliefs and doctrines. And that fancy theological word is already, not yet. Already, not yet. All right. What is this and what does it have to do with faith? And I'm going to tell you, not every theological term is one word with 15 syllables. Simply put, the already, not yet, refers to the biblical tension in which we have all the spiritual blessings now, but we do not yet fully enjoy those blessings now. Okay? That is already, but not yet. Let me give you some examples so you can see for yourself what I am meaning here. Romans 8, verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Not but eight verses later, Romans 8.23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Do you just see the already but not yet within eight verses? We have the spirit of adoption, but yet we are still waiting for the adoption. In Christ, we are adopted by Christ, but yet we are still waiting to be adopted in the fullness of its meaning. Our adoption has already happened, but yet we are not experiencing it. Let me give you another example. Hebrews 10, 14. This is all in one verse. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. This one is simply amazing. Do you see the tension? The already and not yet in this verse. The Lord perfected, past tense, done, perfected. Every one of us already on the cross 2,000 years ago. Done, enjoyed. But yet, in the same verse, we are being sanctified, present with ongoing continuous effect. But yet, we were perfected 2,000 years ago. It isn't until we see heaven that the fullness of Christ's offering, our glorification, will be experienced. But yet, we have all of those spiritual blessings now. This is the already, but not yet. There are many more examples I can give you, but I I think from those, you've got to understand what I am referring to. And the same tension is being referenced in our definition of faith in Hebrews chapter 11.1. 1. And so that you can see this tension a little bit more, I'm going to read from the New King James Version, because I think it actually reads a little bit better. It says, this is the New King James Version, Now faith is the substance of the things hoped for and the evidence of the things not seen. Substance and evidence. These are different words. Instead of, sub, instead of assurance, as the ESV says, we see substance here. What is he referring to? Well, we're going to answer this question. We need to know something else about this definition. And what are the things hoped for? What are these things? And Well, the answer is simple. The things are the very promises of God. In this particular text, 
the promises of God, the things that we're hoping for, is eternal life. The new heavens and new earth, the power of the gospel to redeem all creation. We just, I just read in Romans where all creation is what? They're groaning with us. What is all of creation groaning for? Redemption. That's what it's groaning for. We're groaning for the new heavens and the new earth that were promised in Revelation. The removal of the curse. And you know what? Along with creation, we too are waiting for this promise to be fulfilled. We're waiting for God to dwell with His people and for His people to dwell with God. The new heavens and new earth. Eternal life. Eternal communion with God. The triune God. And you see, this eternal plan called the covenant of redemption started long, long ago. Before the foundations of the world, this covenant of redemption was made. Before time itself, this plan began. And this plan is God's decree. I need us to know this for us to understand this definition of faith. Let me read from Ephesians 1-7. through Stay with me as we see this plan of salvation. Verse 7, In Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, the Gospel, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him. Things in heaven, things on earth. In Him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Counsel of His will. God's decree. Let Herman Bavink, the greatest theologian of our modern era, this is what he defines it. God's counsel, the counsel of His will. God's counsel is His determinate thought and fixed decree pertaining to all things. That counsel, though secret, is realized in history. All, thing ha all things happen in accordance with that counsel. It stands forever. And no one can withstand it. What is, what is this decree? What is this covenant of redemption? This gospel? What is this? And what is being realized in history? Because remember, it's, no, it's a mystery made known to us. Well, we get this word, and he tells us in the second psalm, verses 7-9. through nine. Let me read it. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Do you hear the gospel? Do you hear Jesus being king and given everything? Do you hear the new heavens and the new earth? Do you hear redemption? The fullness of the glory of the Son, Jesus Christ, given all the earth as His possession. 
This is the new heavens and the new earth. Look in our text, in our chapter 11 of our text, and you'll see this is what Abraham understood it to be. Was he waiting for this promised land of Israel and the modern borders of today? Was that the promise? No. That land is too small of a gift. That land was a type or a shadow that pointed to the heavenly realities. That, the promised land pointed to the new heavens and new earth upon which Jesus from the house of David will reign eternally as King and Messiah. Look at verse 10. For he, Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. He looked beyond the land. Verse 16. But as it is, they desire a better country. Better than what? The land. That is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. It goes far beyond the borders. And this, is, this, is, this isn't limited to Hebrews chapter 11. He gave, Paul even mentions this in Romans chapter 4, verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring would be that he would be heir of the world. Promise to Abraham and to his offspring would be that they would, he would be heir of the world. The land is too small for the gift that God has promised. This is redemption. God has decreed that he will make all things new. This is certain. This is our assurance and our conviction. Do you doubt? Let me quickly explain the gospel to you and then return back to that question of, do you doubt? In eternity past, the triune God made this covenant of redemption. And the Father set this plan in motion, and in the garden of Adam and Eve, what happened? Adam took and ate of the fruit of the tree. He sinned. From one man's sin, all have sinned. Sin plagues all mankind. You, me, Pastor John, Plagued with sin. And this is no ordinary problem. This has infinite implications. This means that you, me, Pastor John, are doomed to eternal hell. And we need a Savior. However, that Savior in reading the Bible did not come for at least 3,000 years after the fall. The U.S. Census Bureau tells us that in the span of 3,000 years, they estimate 600 million people lived during this time period. How accurate it is, I don't know, but it works for this analogy. And that means these 600 million people were alive, and you know what they were faithful to do? They are faithful just like you and me and Pastor John to sin, to thwart the plans of God. And you know what? This doesn't include the legions of demons and the prince of the power of the air, Satan himself doing the very same thing, thwarting and seeking to stop the plan of God. And when you consider all this data and you're reading the timeline, 3,000 years, it looks, it feels grim. Even more so when 3,000 years did come, the Savior did come, and he is here in the flesh. And what happened to Satan with all his might? 
what did he do? He secured his death by putting Jesus on the cross. Satan, after Christ pronounced a curse on the serpent in the garden, Satan has now thought he pronounced a curse on Christ. Vengeance belonged to the serpent, so he thought. For three days the disciples walked in sadness and the demons rejoiced. For three days it seemed like God's decree was thwarted, ruined. But God, He made he makes, the fool, he makes foolishness out of the wisdom of the world and Satan. In an ironic twist, what the thir- serpent thought was a curse of victory, <laughs> the stone was rolled away and behold, nothing. Which meant everything. The grave conquered. The curse conquered. Satan crushed. Man, redemption. God's decree. If God has decreed it, who can stop it? Has COVID stopped this decree? Has Putin stopped this decree? What about Donald Trump or Joe Biden? Have they done anything to stop this covenant of redemption? Nothing. Have you been able to stop this plan of salvation? No. Absolutely not. Everything is still going according to God's plan. Nothing has changed. God's plan is as good as done. It's already complete, but we are not yet experiencing the fullness of it. It is already complete, but we do not yet experience the fullness of it. That is our Faith. Faith is living the substance of God's eternal covenant of redemption now. Faith is living the new heavens and the new earth now. It is more sure, more certain than any faith we have when we sit in a chair. We walk by faith, not by sight. Do you doubt? Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Now that we have this definition of faith, now that we know it is for sure, our promises of God are certain sealed and we can claim them as ourselves, let's move on to see how we put our faith into action. Our second goal for this morning, two ways to put your faith into action. I call this our faith in action. As you read this chapter, you'll notice this phrase, by faith, appears over and over again. In fact, it appears 18 times. In each occurrence, it speaks to a specific character of the Old Testament and an action they took by faith. I don't have time to go through each occurrence of the phrase by faith, but there are some fundamental ways in which all of these individuals acted the same. And we can too. Here's the first way. Our faith is put to action when we obey the Word of God. Our faith is put to action when we obey the Word of God. If you were to look upon each 
person and what they are acting out and what they are acting out from, the source, the foundation, is divine revelation. Every occurrence is rooted in God's word or activity. There is no exception to this. You might be wondering, where can I hear this divine revelation so I can stay, take a step of faith? Perhaps you want God to speak to you right now. You want God to come to you in a dream or to answer all of life's, pre all of life's questions for you in your current situation. You want to hear His voice so you can take that step. Good news. There's an answer. It's right here. All these men acted upon God's Word. Let me, look, let me show you some of these. Watch. Verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place. Very simple. Divine revelation. God told him what? To go. Check this out. Matthew 28, verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. It's the same command. Go. Abraham was to make disciples. We are to go and make disciples. This is just one example, but perhaps some of you in this room want to disciple someone but you don't have anyone to disciple. You want to act out your faith and disciple. Well, I say do it. Let me give you some steps. What do you do? First, is there someone in this church that you have been looking at that you know needs to be discipled that you can walk through the Scriptures with? Identify that person. And then go and do it. Ask them. Second, are you actively praying for the Lord to bring someone into your life to disciple? No? Pray for it. It is the one prayer I guarantee you He will answer. Third, are you actually trying to approach people? Or are you waiting for someone to fall into your lap? Everyone in this chapter of Hebrews 11 had active faith. Not passive faith. Do not give up is my last uh, instruction to you. It may not come in a week, a month, or even a year. But if you are diligent to pray and to seek, out someone to disciple or be discipled, the Lord will answer. Take courage. The Lord made us into fishers of men. And I do not, I don't, you, you cannot be called a fisherman and never catch a fish, just like you cannot be called a baker and never bake. A Christian can be and will be used to make disciples. Look at verse 7. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. Translation, hey Noah, I'm about to judge the world with water. The whole world will be judged. I will start over. Build an ark. What did Noah do? He built an ark. And then he preached the Gospel. The, God, the command is the same. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7-10. through 10. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as God's stewards of God's varied grace. It is the same command. What, is he just, what has He warned us to come? He's returning. He's coming to judge the world, the living and the dead. 
It is coming like a thief in the night. So what are we to do? Just like Noah, we obey. We share the Gospel. We are all the more encouraged to be zealous for good works that the Lord has prepared for us beforehand. Let's keep going. Verse 9, By faith he, Abraham, went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land. Once again, our situation is nothing new. There's no difference here. 1 Corinthians 5, 1-2 and verse 20. For we know that if the tent, that is our heavenly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors. They represent a country in a country that is not their own. We live in a foreign land. We are strangers. And by faith we live in this land and keep our minds on Christ. We are content with our temporary situation no matter what it may be because we are simple, simply travelers making our way home. David Clarkson, the Puritan that took over John Owen's pulpit, says, Be content with what things you enjoy. Though it seems small or poor, it is enough for a stranger. More would be a burden to you. And travelers should avoid burdens if they long to be at home. Don't weigh yourself down on this journey home. Put your faith to action and obey God's Word. Let's, look, let's move on to the second fundamental way to put your faith to action. And that is, our faith is put to action when we learn about God. Our faith is put to action when we learn about God. Let me, let's read verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Okay, he's referring to Enoch. Well, what happened to Enoch in the verse prior? Well, we learned Enoch never died. In his age, God simply took him up to heaven. Okay, why? Because he pleased God. How did he please God? Let's read Genesis 5 and find out. Verse 22. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Go on the walk with someone just for an hour, and you will become friends, or you'll decide never to hang out with that person again. Okay? You learn a lot about a person just with a short walk. Well, how about 300 years of walking? 300 years of never growing tired of someone, about learning more and more about our Lord. Enoch never reached a limit to his knowledge of God, but yet he could only thirst and seek more and more and more and more for over 300 years. Each step, each day, each morning, new mercies, new truths, never-ending. Eternal life, never-ending learning and growing in the knowledge of our Savior. I tell you this, if you're tired of hearing the Gospel, and if you're tired of telling yourself the Gospel, then I'm going to tell you you're not understanding it correctly. For we cannot ever get tired of the Gospel, and we can never outlearn the Gospel. 
You want to put your faith to action, learn about God. I strongly recommend getting a group of people together and going through some systematic theologies or basic books about who God is. An easy way to start is author A.W. Pink's Attributes of God. Or you can read a modern contemporary, Matthew Barrett's None Greater. I have other resources on the screen that you can read and learn about who God is. What is things like God's simplicity or God's aseity or how is God immutable? How do all of those things impact our daily life? Well, the answer is everything. Jen Wilkin, if you want to feel deeply about God, you must learn to think deeply about God. Let me give you an example of this, and it happens to be in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive. Even when she was past the age, she considered him faithful who had promised. When she, when she received the promise, she laughed in disbelief due to her ignorance of what? Her character of God. What happened in the span of one year that brought her from laughing about God's power to all of a sudden getting this verse that praises her for her considering God to be faithful? What took place in this year's time? She grew in the knowledge of God. She, got, she understood the assurance of her salvation. She understood that what God says He will do, He will do, and He is more than capable to do so. When she learned about God, there was no more disbelief, but there was assurance and conviction. The knowledge of God results in greater joy and greater faith. What does theology do for you? What is learning about all these attributes of God? What is learning all about Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God's bride, the church? What does all this do for you? It results in greater worship, greater joy, and greater faith. Every one of these characters acted on faith because they had a deep understanding of the knowledge of God. They knew the God behind the promises. You cannot gaze upon the face of God and not be changed into the image of God. Let me add this to you briefly. Growing in theology equally helps you in obedience to His Word. I just spoke about making disciples as one of our commands to be able to walk into faith. Perhaps some of us here are not confident to do so. Well, the confidence will go away if you grow in your knowledge of God. They go hand in hand. Let me tell you about Mako. Who is Mako? Mako is a missionary from the Central Republic of Africa. <clears throat> he learned the gospel from Margaret Laird, a, Den a Denver native. She was a missionary. She felt compelled to go share the gospel to the cannibalistic tribes of Central Republic of Africa. Her story isn't widely known. Uh, I would be surprised if anybody here knows of her. And that is more than okay, for not every instance of faith is world-renowned. And just like yours and mine may only be known by a faithful few and our Lord. And if it is known by our Lord, that is satisfaction enough for the Christian. And Margaret, let me go back to Margaret. What did she do? She faithfully taught the Bible every day to this local tribe. Her and her husband teaching these men how to read 
Why? So that they could read their Bible. However, Mako was really old. And when someone is this old and has never seen a picture before, the possibility of them reading is most likely not going to happen. It's practically impossible at Mako's age to learn how to read. But he wanted to know more about this God who became a man to dwell among men and to forgive him of his sins. Mako had to know this God, and he did. Mako believed, but he still wanted more. So what did he do? He learned more and more and more until it was so much one day that he couldn't keep it in anymore. He, he approached the Lairds and he says, I have to go share this news about this wonderful Savior. This God is too much for me to keep to myself. But he had a problem. Mako couldn't read. Well, that is a problem if it wasn't for faith. But Mako's story continued. He was convicted. He knew the gospel must go out to all the surrounding cannibalistic tribes. He knew he needed to help further the mission of Jesus Christ. So what did he do? Well, since he couldn't read, he memorized the whole book of John. He says, I will give them the, the God's word, even if I have to memorize everything. And he does, and he did. And then he took the word of God to the neighboring tribe. And because Mako took faith in studying God and his word, memorized the whole book of John, he proclaimed Christ to the neighboring community, and over 75 people came to believe through Mako. You want to put your faith into action and learn about God and watch the immeasurable riches of Christ overflow. Brothers and sisters, Jesus did not die for us to have a stagnant faith. The counsel of God did not make the covenant of redemption just so we can sit by a river and wait for it to end. No, Jesus died for us to have piety and abundance of it. He died for you to live in and out your gift of faith. He died for you. Remind yourself of such a truth. Do not forget the Gospel. Let me close with two quotes. Peter Kuzmik. This resonated with me. Hope is the ability to hear the music of the future. Faith is the courage to dance to it in the present. There's our challenge this morning to take the courage to dance in, rejoice in the certainties of God's promises, of His salvation, and go. William Carey says, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. We have faith. Faith. We know the end from the beginning. Let's live it. That is faith. That is what we have been gifted with. So let's use it. Let me pray. Father, Lord, thank you for this gift of faith. Thank you, Lord, that you have given us such assurance and certainty, Lord, that our faith is anything but blind. Lord, that where we are now, that you are working in us, Lord. You are sanctifying us. You are making us more holy. But yet, Lord, we are already, in a sense, glorified. 
Lord, our sins are forgiven. Even the future sins, Lord, are forgiven. We already have it, but we have not yet experienced it. Lord, help us within each and every one of us here, Lord, to grow in the understanding of the fulfillment of your promises and the fulfillment of time where you make all things new and all things are redeemed, worshiping you in one voice. Help us to know it and to live it now. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your gospel. Amen.